Penn State no longer in the ranks of the undefeated falling to Iowa. 23-20 tonight at Kinnick Stadium. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, Blue White Illustrated. This is BWI Live. I'm here with the co-host of the Pater Podcast, Tom Hannafin. Tom, I always struggle knowing where to start one of these shows because there's so much that goes into these games and the the late game stuff. This game, not so much. Kind of felt like you knew what was going to happen with about six minutes left. Uh, we've got a lot of strong opinions in the chat that we're going to get to here in a minute. Uh, but I want to start with your overview of this game and how you feel, how you doing after uh, Penn State's loss. Um, I Before we got started with this, I was genuinely feeling like, doom and gloom and the polarizing uh sports fan who is just like oh my gosh the season's over all these you know negative thoughts that you naturally have with the magnitude of this loss um the truth of the matter is yes this game definitely hurts penn state big time in terms of postseason aspirations which i know you and i talked about last week after the indiana game i've talked extensively about with matt mcgloin on the pater podcast is that this is a fan base that is hoping to get to the playoff, yeah. to win a Big Ten title potentially, uh, and to maybe contend for a national title. Um, anything can happen the remainder of the season. I know that's a cop-out and a cliche. This is a brutal remainder of the schedule, and the gigantic question mark that will define the rest of the season for Penn State is what is the health and availability of quarterback Sean Clifford? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I don't think it takes a football expert to see that was the difference in this game. Uh, it was as dramatic as anything. Like you could, you could physically see they had 19 yards to end the half after Sean Clifford came out of the game. Uh, I'm sorry, negative 19 yards. Uh, it, it just was. It you you couldn't function the offense the way that they wanted to. Now, uh, because the whole game was based around Sean Clifford beating the Iowa defense and their zone coverages. And you could see the minute uh, that they had that first drive with Taquan Roberson in there, they were running the same concepts. They were running the same plays. They were not going to treat him uh, with any sort of di any different whatsoever. And he immediately threw the ball to the other team twice and they dropped one of them. So then they went into halftime. They simplified things. And they played a very different game of football because their quarterback was not. I, I mean, it was. I, you're running cover four if you're if you're Iowa and you are in zone coverage, and Taquan Roberson drops back. He sees the coverage and throws it to Jahan Dotson anyway. Like immediately throws. I'm talking about the underneath route that he threw right to the linebacker. In zone coverage, you need to wait for the receiver to stop and find the soft spot. The soft spot is not in front of an all Big Ten linebacker, Jack Campbell. The soft spot is when you get in between those, and he had time in the pocket, and he had the ability to uh, wait for things to develop and those zones to break down. But Taquan Roberson. Just it, it, he wasn't ready for the moment. Like there, there's no way else around it. And it's it's not. I'm not trying to uh, say he's going to be a bad quarterback for the rest of forever. Uh, I think you saw clearly his strengths and weaknesses as a football player. But from the mental side of things, from the mental processing of if this then this, he was not ready to do it. And they had to change the offense entirely, which played directly 
into the Iowa defense's hands. They're, that's just that's the game. That's the mm-hmm. game. They couldn't score points, and they still almost won the game. Yeah, it's it's completely night and day uh, from when Sean Clifford was in the game. Uh, you and I were talking about this before uh, we got started here. Sean was doing great. Yep. Uh, you know, the two interceptions did not hurt you because this might be uh, one of the top two defenses in America. Mm-hmm. It, it, Georgia and Penn State, this is a good Iowa defense. We're not going to discredit them whatsoever. But the fact that Penn State had a 17 to 10 lead and then at one point a 20 to 10 lead. And for the bulk of the third quarter, there was still a feeling of this defense is playing lights out. Yep. Spencer Petrus and company cannot move. Um, that there was still a chance that they could pull it off. And all you really needed was field goals from the offense, just advance it enough, just get yeah. it to the 30, the 25, and you'd be in business. And that's what you felt like with the Jordan Stout kick there in the second half. Um, so there was some reason for optimism, but it was night and day, obviously. Sean Clifford, um, for all you people out there that have not appreciated Sean, shut up. For all of you people <laughs> yeah. out there that wanted us to keep Will Levis, who went seven of seventeen in his recent game? By the way, I forget who the hell they played. I but think it was Florida, um, <laughs> Florida, yeah, yeah. Who is clearly not that great of a quarterback, um, and wanted Will Levis instead of Sean Clifford. All of you can shut up. Um, <laughs> Sean Clifford. The gap between him and any backup or any potential prospect is gigantic. Now, is so, he? Uh, uh, me, uh, yeah, sorry. But <laughs> let, let me just let it, so yeah. But it is. It is. This is what happens when uh, you have the transfer portal. This is a direct, because it's not just Will Levis. Yes, it's Will Levis, but also Micah Bowen was a good prospect. Now, I'm not saying Micah Bowen would have done anything different, but I know from watching film and watching him throw, Micah Bowen was a better passer than Taquan Roberson. And he has a similar skill set from an ability standpoint to Sean Clifford. So those two, like if you don't have two quarterbacks transfer this offseason, maybe Taquan is the backup, maybe he's not, but you know if he's struggling that much, you might put the other guy in or you might just try anything. But your only other option was true freshman Christian Veyu. And if you think from a mental processing standpoint, the stuff that I talked about with Sean, uh, with Taquan Roberson, if you think that the freshman is going to perform that better, I don't know what to tell you. Now, mm-hmm. I want to get to some of these because uh, Dave is pretty hot in the chat to start. He Everybody's said, hot. And how, seriously, everybody let it out. It's how in God's green earth? This is group therapy. How do you muster only three points with your backup quarterback? Play calling was complete garbage in the second half after the first drive. David, I hope I answered your question as far as why they changed the game. Because Taquan was not uh, up to that task. He was not up to the task of operating and, and being precise. And that was what they said uh, on the broadcast as well. When you're, when you're playing an Iowa defense, you have to be precise. You have to hit you the open zones. And you could see, like, he was playing panicked football. The moment was too big for him in this in this situation where his feet weren't settled, his his eyes were all over the place. Like you could see physically in the pocket, he didn't know what to do with his hands. Like he 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 didn't know how to behave in the pocket and and that is his eyes weren't set. He wasn't looking yeah. in the right spots. He wasn't he just couldn't go a b c d these are the things I have to do and then get to the next right. play. And and I, you can't operate an offense like that. You have to, uh, so what they did, and, and to give you a breakdown of the plan, running the ball. 
We saw that, right? So you're going to run the ball. You're going to run. You're going to run inside zone. You're going to hit him with a couple of those option keepers. And I think even then we saw that uh, Roberson is a decent athlete, but I wouldn't say that he's he's a he's a, a a true threat as a runner. And then you're hitting the outsides. You're you're trying to hit the flat. You're trying to hit one read concepts, and that makes everything within five yards. You cannot operate an an offense for an entire game in five yards. It worked for one drive. And because they completely changed their game plan. But as soon as Iowa realized, oh, they're not a threat to throw over the middle, deep, or in any sort of uh, concept that is complex that would put our defenders in conflict, they didn't have to do anything. They just had to let the game come to them and play the game they wanted to play the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see another one here from Dave, and I know you're already seeing it too. Uh, They should have thrown the screens more, though. They were trying to run the ball and throw downfield. Just get the ball to the playmakers, and and David, I understand your point. You know, Penn State does have fantastic playmakers. Um, it's damn near impossible to do that if your quarterback cannot throw behind beyond five yards. Clearly, uh, Roberson was in a one read and run type of situation. Um, I believe it was a fourth down attempt where he threw it out in the flat to Kevon Lee. Yeah. Um, the secondary was actually very favorable for what Roberson could have done. Had he bothered to look uh, at the backside slant, he would have had a first down. But instead, he was locked into his number one, and Kevon Lee got blasted, not even close to converting. Yeah, so, I can't believe he caught that ball. That was actually a I really good Yeah, catch. it was, it was you know, a great catch. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was obviously one read and take off. Yeah. And there was a little bit of optimism in the third quarter because they clearly changed up the offensive scheme to better suit him and his skill set. Iowa is really smart. They caught on yep. to it very quickly. That is an excellent defense. And to your point, if everything is 10 yards and under and Penn State realizing that their quarterback was not going to be able to handle a lot, had to turn to their running game, which is the weakest facet of the offense. Yes. You tell me what Penn State was supposed to do there in the second half. Uh, you're handcuffed in a lot yeah. of ways. The major concern for me is that it took until the fourth quarter, and and I, I put this on Mike Yursich and even James Franklin, to realize they had to go to a silent snap count. Yeah, you know uh, the guard <laughs> reaching out and David telling the isn't. Center, hey, you. How <laughs> David's did that not take? the only one that's talking in the chat, but he brought that how, up, so I figured we bring it up here. How in the world did that take that long to figure out? I have seen more college football games in loud atmospheres. Hell, yeah, NFL games. The same thing happens where it's just the quarterback maybe drops his hand down and the center looks through his legs and then he snaps it, or you have the guard indicating to the center kind of like what we saw uh, in this game. And as a result, there were a billion false starts. It was yeah. brutal to watch. Yeah. Um, so it, it, that that falls on Mike Yursich. That falls on the quarterback's coach. That How did you not change yeah. that up immediately at halftime, understanding the crowd noise and how... Uh, so it wasn't, to me, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the crowd noise because... If you notice, the offense did not have that problem in a loud atmosphere with Sean Clifford. It, it's it was literally, and I'm glad we're talking about this because it wasn't the crowd noise. And and, and I know that that kind of sounds like, come on, really? Yes, the crowd plays a factor in the fact that they have to go to that particular cadence. Penn State operates on the snap uh, or on the clap, no matter where they are. The problem was the offense wasn't used to Roberson's voice. They were not used to his cadence. They were not used to him going through this process. And you could see uh, Mike Miranda didn't distinguish 
what Roberson was doing because it was all new. They th- this is literally a they didn't practice together. There is there's there's genuinely different ways that that happens and uh, guys operate the offense. Literally the difference in how he clapped. You could see again. Roberson is a looks like a very robotic player, and he was. And like you, you know, if you're if you're used to one thing that sounds one way, and you're used to it, and you've heard it a thousand times, a thousand times, and then it's something totally different. That's when it does get lost in the crowd noise because you don't know what you're listening for. Now, I will agree with you that they should have gone to the kind of the NFL thing is what they do in the NFL is they put their hand forward and then you go on the center and the center decides. But to me, like those things were all procedural about the quarterback that was back there because, again, it was a loud offense. It was a loud environment in the first quarter when they started the game and Sean Clifford operated multiple 10 play drives and they haven't had any false starts. They've been in loud environments all year and they've had no procedural problems. But Mm -hmm. that that was you're right that that is on the coaching staff for not adjusting until it had happened for two straight quarters. But at the same time, you know, I, I that's t- that that's that to me that's another one of those. Well, we have our backup quarterback in, so nothing's going to work right. Nothing. And it's and again, I don't want to. Th- there's so many situations in this game, and so many different points that you can look at and be like, "This is why Penn State lost." Okay. Yeah. Um. Thank God there's a bye week. Thank God the next opponent is at home against Illinois, which even if Taquan Roberson starts that game, Penn State should win that game, which is fine, and that's a good opportunity. In fact, we don't know the extent of Sean Clifford's injury. You and I were speculating, is it a back injury? Is it a true shoulder injury? Uh, Penn State notoriously does not really give out uh, injury information, so we may, we may not know. We're going to see. So hopefully Clifford is okay, and he can at least be back by Ohio State. By the way, this is why people like me were advocating for why are Clifford and Brisker, by the way, playing against Ball State and Villanova, <laughs> period. No, yeah. no, period. It's it, it's bordering on silly because these guys are clearly banged up in these games. Um, yeah. Clifford got injured, I believe, against Wisconsin, banged up his elbow, and then it was like, hey, man, it's Ball State. And, but and, and you've same got... thing with Jaquan, who keeps going down and getting back up. He's a yeah. zombie. Good for so, him. But... <laughs> I will, I'll say the, the Brisker one, he played 20 total snaps in a game that I think had 60-some. So, I mean, he played some. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was out there a lot. And yeah, most of still. them were coverage snaps. <laughs> uh, yeah. That shoulder, to me, uh, seems like something that's not going to get worse, and it's not going to get better. He's just living with that this year. For and Brisker, then you mean. Brisker, yeah. And with Clifford, you're still new in this offense. So, you know, I'm not trying to re-adjudicate those things, but you are still trying to learn and get reps and live reps in this offense. And we saw how it play, it paid out later in the season when they were they were good on offense. Um, I don't... This is tough because literally the game is defined by Sean Clifford not being in there and I want to talk about what he did in this game for a minute and 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 I'll I'll throw this up for Ryan because this is going to be a long conversation again about more about quarterbacks but Ryan asked do you think Penn State has a chance to look at it for QB in the portal and with this loss that changed the narrative of Clifford staying or leaving this is such a complex conversation um, that we could do the whole show for an hour and a half just on this particular question and I know that fans this is what they're thinking already so this is something you wanted to talk about the whole all of the options that are on the table for Penn State. Um, so where do you want to start in the 
quarterback conversation when it comes to outside of Sean Clifford? Uh, well, I'll start with the, the second half of this question um, because I, the, the narrative of him staying or leaving, I just don't think there's a dramatic ceiling for uh, Sean Clifford in the NFL. I think he probably realizes that. Look at what Trace McSorley is to the Baltimore Ravens. He's the third-string quarterback. So, yeah, could Sean maybe make some money in the pros? Sure. Um, but there's a really good chance if he's got his sixth year and he wants to take it that he pulls the trigger on that and he comes back. But nobody should be banking on that by any means because the guy could get his education and move on. Uh, who knows? But that that's kind of the way I look at it, so that's still a big question mark. But if I'm a Penn State fan, I wouldn't bank on it. Um, I am ecstatic that you're on the line with us, and granted, you're the host of it, T. Frank. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you know everything about recruiting. So yeah. as the Penn State fan um, – Tell us a little bit about value and tell us a little bit about some of the guys that are incoming in the years to come. Okay, so we'll we'll start with Christian Veyu, and he is another Canadian transplant who came to the States to play football uh, and has a lot of good potential. Uh, he's 6'2 to 6'3, somewhere in there. Uh, a good frame to develop on, but he's still super young. And, and just what happened was, so he, he comes from Canadian football. He plays in Maryland, and he has a good season. I think he maybe started uh, as a sophomore or as a junior. And then his whole senior season is the COVID season. So even when it comes to American football and playing at the high school level, it's not like he has a ton of reps. So this is another guy who is going to take some time to develop. And, you know, he's a good throw over the football. I think he's got a good, smooth release, good, quick release. I wouldn't say he's got a strong arm, but I wouldn't say he's got a weak arm. Uh, you know, I think he can make the majority of the throws you're looking for. But as far as his development and his, you know, all of those things, again, just talking about Taquan Roberson and, and every quarterback is different. And could you insert a guy and suddenly he has the it factor and the spark to lead a team? Sure. But again, the question's like, how likely is that? And if Penn State is not putting Christian Veyu, who's an early enrollee, as the number two quarterback, it kind of shows you where he is in his development process, seeing what you did from Taekwon tonight. And again, I feel like I'm, I've, I, I, I hate to keep doing this to the poor guy because he was put in a terrible situation to run an offense that wasn't his. If, if he does have to play after the bye week, the offense will be different. There will be different plays. So here's what happened in this game. Uh, and I want to go to uh, what David said. And Ryan, we're going to get back to your question. Uh, and we'll get to the conversation about the, the team proper. But I want to explain a little bit more about what happened tonight from the Penn State offense. Sean Clifford and how you beat the Iowa, uh, the Iowa defense is with time and, again, the precision factor. Sean Clifford wasn't perfect in the first half. The, the pressure on him in the end zone, and he was late to throw the football. That gave Iowa three points. They won by three points. You can you can look at it that way if you want to. You can also look at it. The Penn State defense gave up three points off three turnovers, uh, one where he was getting hit as he released the ball because that was one of the few times they got pressure with four, and it was an underthrown ball because he got – literally his lower body was being hit while he threw the football. Uh, but even then, he was – I'm going to pull up these uh, numbers here. Um. This, by the way, this Iowa game book is terrible. I cannot operate it whatsoever. Uh, it is just weird. He was 15 to 25 for 146 yards and, and the two interceptions, but he led multiple drives of multiple plays. So if we go to how many, uh, how many plays, his, a nine play 75 yard drive, 
and in a, t- in a, in a touchdown. Six plays, 28, four for 39, 14 for 66. And then he was injured. So he has multiple drives where he's got a lot of plays. He's operating the offense. Yes, is it dink and dunk? Yes. But he was he was getting the ball to the proper receiver in the proper zone. And the the, the Iowa defense was starting to crack. Where they were the, he got hurt on a blitz. Iowa doesn't blitz. They couldn't get pressure. Their zones were breaking down, so they had to do something different. And a random chance that Sean Clifford raised his arm up and somebody hit him underneath. The you know the random bounce of the football changed this game in that fact because Iowa was gonna was ripe for a big play because they were starting to play man coverage. They couldn't keep playing the way they were because Penn State was slicing them in a quasi I called it surgically adjacent way down the football field. They were you all of those plays are gone with Taquan in the game. He is not going to be reading those concepts. He is not going to be able to say, okay, pre-snap, they're showing me cover two. They drop the safety down. It's now cover three. That's what happened on the interception. So he's reading two deep safeties. Uh, This is going to be cover two with the corner playing up. The corner bails. The safety comes down. They shift the landscape of, of of the safeties. And first off, there is no other route for the uh, corner to be on. So in cover three, you have the deep coverage and you have your sideline. There's no other player in the area, so he's free to play that as man. He threw into a safety too. So even if he leads Dotson over the middle of the field, he's throwing into the defense. These are the things that a defense can show you that if you're a starting in your first game against a top five team with a very good defense, you're not going to be able to do this on the fly. He's not getting first-team reps. These are not the plays that he'd be running. These are the plays for the fifth-year senior quarterback who is taking about nine credits and playing football. So the advanced, the advanced way that this offense operates, it's, it's almost NFL-like when, with their ability to, uh, to throw the football at the rate they do. And yes, if you can't throw the football because your quarterback is injured, not being able to run the football is a big problem. Mm-hmm. So now it becomes a problem. But you were going to win that game if you're Penn State. They were they had the ball for most of the first half. They ran 33 plays, and then your quarterback gets injured. So what do you do now? Because the the clearly the problem is uh, right now there's not another quarterback that can do what Mike Yersich wants on the roster. So where do you go? I, the transfer portal can can go both ways. Reportedly, the team was interested in TJ Finley, the LSU quarterback that eventually transferred to Auburn and started after Bo Nix was benched. So even then, they knew this was the situation, but they weren't going to bring in a quarterback that was going to displace Clifford because they knew he could operate this offense. Right. So now you got, I, I think you got to look in the, in the portal uh, because when it comes to the young quarterbacks, and I know I'm going on a long time here, but uh, those young quarterbacks, again, you're expecting them to be able to do all of this stuff as true freshmen? I don't know how you reasonably expect that as a fan. On top of the fact that I think Drew Alar needs to sit for a year and needs to work on his mechanics. I don't think that Drew Alar is ready from a consistency and accuracy standpoint, play in and play out, and I would think it would do him a disservice and a detriment to his long-term development to play him right away. I think he needs he needs to sit with Mike Yersich, rework some of his footwork, and and then he can be the guy you want him to be. But throwing him out too early that can you're you're heading down the Christian Hackenberg road. So I don't have any good news for you. 
Yeah, it's it's disappointing. I'm seeing a lot of people in the chat, and then I was seeing a lot of people talking online about Spencer Rattler. Um, I I I think athletically, uh, would he be an upgrade over some of the guys that you have? Yeah, sure. Um, Spencer Rattler has proven to be a pretty inconsistent quarterback. I think his hype was gigantic coming out of high school because it was. Kyler Murray, followed by Baker Mayfield, followed mm. by uh, Jalen Hurts. And forgive me if I have that order incorrect. I think that's right. But um, And then it was Spencer so. Rattler. Yeah. And everybody thought it was just going to be the assembly line of Heisman potential or Heisman winning quarterbacks at Oklahoma. And I believe Spencer Rattler got caught up in that. And admittedly, I think the guy's very overconfident. Um, Caleb Williams uh, jumped in in the game uh, today against Texas and saved the day for the Sooners. So yeah. they may have their guy there. I think they have a lot of decisions to make. Rattler strikes me as a guy who would go pro before he transferred to another school, but who knows? Uh, so you can't, again, you can't hang your hat on that stuff. Yeah. I think, again, this is all overreaction Saturday night. Uh, it's hoping that Sean is healthy. And again, I said it before, thank God Penn State has a bye week and yeah. then a beat up Illinois team. Um, one thing I do want to say about Iowa's chances for the remainder of the season um <clears throat> they got exposed yeah. today they won yeah. um but they the arguments that everybody was making about Iowa uh, were proven today they hinge on turnovers yeah. so again if you do not turn the ball over and you give them a uh, bad field position that offense cannot hurt you that defense is sound they're disciplined they yep. can be nasty but it's not the greatest defense ever fielded they, they were not getting be... pressure with four right. against the Penn State offensive only... line Exactly, and they only started yeah. blitzing in the second half because they knew Roberson was uh, short, You're, so they yeah. went after him. Yeah, um, exactly. My my point is that the remainder of their schedule, I'd be I'd be surprised if they didn't finish undefeated and represent the West in the Big Ten title game. However, yeah. the College Football Playoff Committee, no way in the no. world do no. you want Iowa in the playoff because they don't draw. And, and I come back to now. I come back to the business side of college football yeah. all the time because it bears fruit. Ohio State is rounding into form. Michigan's coming alive. Michigan State is coming alive. That's yeah. just within the Big Ten. Not to mention Oregon and the Cinderella that is Cincinnati and yeah. the playoff committee. We'll probably find a way to screw Cincinnati. Unfortunately, however, no one on that playoff committee wants to see Iowa attempt to draw a rating up against Alabama or Georgia. So it's not just that. And I, I do think some of the backdoor politic sort of stuff does come into play there. But here's the deal. Spencer Petrus, 17 of 31 for 195 yards. Uh, yes, he had the two touchdowns and he had the one interception. But he's not good. I, I want to say, yeah. I, I'm sorry go, to cut go you Go for off. it. Go for it. Joel Klatt had a question that I thought was eloquent as hell. He said, did you come all the way from Northern California to hide? <laughs> and, and it was a challenge, but the answer to that is sort of. And I feel bad because on my own podcast and on this show, I've said that he's not your grandfather's Iowa quarterback. Yeah. Um, I take that back. He is exactly your uh, grandfather's Iowa quarterback. You know, um, I think we're both we were both fooled by uh, some games where he played 
well. So there were times he when was good he was in 2020. I'm going to give him uh, credit. Not even just in 2020. There were there were times this year where he and there were times in this game. So there were times in this game where Spencer Petrus hung in the pocket. He delivered the ball to the right receiver at the right time. He took a hit and he got the first down. But that's like twice. That was like two times. For mm-hmm. the most part, what he did was it's third down. Penn State gets pressure. He drops his eyes and looks at it and then throws the ball away. He gave up on so many plays tonight. And Mm -hmm. and ultimately, they won the game. So this is sort of that echo chamber of success when it comes to, you know, well, yeah, you want to live to fight another day. You want to, like, make sure that you don't hurt the team by a turnover and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Sean Clifford's healthy. Penn State puts up 30 points in this game. Like they had, they had the majority of their yards and they were, they, they were controlling the game through the second quarter. You can't tell me that to end the quarter, they weren't going to get points if Clifford comes back because they were doing it down the field the entire time. You played a backup quarterback who had the ball. And this is another huge thing about this game. I I had the drive starts pulled up and I want to pull it up again for the Penn State offense because I've, I haven't seen Jordan Stout get out punted in a while, but he was tonight. Yeah. Uh, at, uh, Taylor, the punter for uh, Iowa, might have been the, the player of the game because it, it wasn't Spencer Petras. It was not. There was one busted coverage. And I'll get into that here while I pull that up. So when you are playing in uh, cover three you and, and you run a certain route against cover three, you as there's a couple of different ways you can play it and Penn State got a miscommunication on the back end where there it's kind of the same thing of when when Taquan Roberson through his interception is they're running to the middle of the field and there's no other deep receiver in the vicinity so the 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 corner on that side takes that receiver if that happens the safety has to then replace him in the coverage because you still have to be sound. You still have to make sure that you're covering all your bases. And what happened was Jair Brown got caught flat-footed in the middle of the field, and they ran the receiver across the field underneath and then kind of up. So it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's a crossing route. They got beat by a crossing route in cover three. That sucks, but it was in the situation where they had been on the field the entire second half of the game because the Nittany Lions on offense, uh, these drives started... This is such a terrible game book. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, they started at the PSU 11. And I'm going backwards from the end of the game. PSU 11, the Iowa 45, the Penn State 6, the 4, and the 30. Uh, also, they started at the uh, PSU 4, the Penn State 8. Those are all of his drives. So he starts at the 8, the 4, the 4, the 6, and the 11. That's more than half of his drives. So not only can he know. not run an offense, he's doing it from his goal line. He right. was how many not quarterbacks, set up to win. How many offenses, how many quarterbacks in America can handle that type of terrible field position consistently? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, part of it's their own doing because they were, they were getting no yards. Uh, they had uh, one, two, three, four, f- five, five three and outs. And then, of course, a four and out where they go over on downs. So they were not getting any yards to then flip the field. Um, I I don't know. I have a hard time blaming anyone on the offense because the whole thing hinges around Clifford. And then he's gone. Yeah. 
if Clifford had remained healthy, um, I see a super chat uh, jump in. David, thank you for being so active tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, David saying, uh, with Clifford, think Penn State could have hit 38 points. Uh, who knows what the total would have been, but T. Frank was kind of touching on it, that they definitely could have scored over 30 points the way they were going. I, I think the biggest takeaway is that this Penn State defense is freaking good. Yeah. They they stalled Iowa. Iowa had so many instances where that crowd was jacked up off of turnover, 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 and their entire design was being turned on its head and that they turned the ball over and they get points. They got three off of turnovers, I believe, in the first three quarters. It was the I literally think. the first drive. Uh, the the yeah, throw in the, the from the end zone. Yep. yep. The first drive they got points off turnovers. Uh, the Nittany Lion defense stonewalled them the entire time. And so we, we've we spent 32 minutes and 56 seconds as of right now talking about quarterbacks. I do want to talk about the Penn State defense because they so, were really good tonight. They were awesome. really good. Really uh, awesome. Yeah. And the, the, the busted coverage aside, who stood out to you when it comes to the Penn State defense? Uh, uh, you know, from from the linebackers, doesn't matter, safeties. Who were you looking at? honestly you could point to just about any of the 11 guys um i'll just pick one daquan hardy had a really nice day daquan hardy continues to show that as the third corner he can start at just about any program in america uh which is a scary prospect this is a very physical smart defense and hats off to brent pry um i talked about on my show in that the the Penn State defense really hadn't done anything up to this point that was terribly exotic in terms of coverage. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Like throughout the season, they really weren't going to try and, you know, blow your mind and really confuse you because mm-hmm. mostly because they just didn't have to. Um, mm-hmm. They really challenged Spencer Petrus. Rarely was what they showed before the snap what they actually did once the play yeah. was underway. They dropped nine people in the coverage at one point. There were D tackles playing zone. Petrus had no and and he ran into the pressure. He ran into the pressure into right. it. This defense That's what I'm talking about with him. Very, very good. They're very, very disciplined, athletic. They are rangy yeah. at just about every single position. Uh and the one thing and I've talked about it on this show and my own show is that if you're a ball carrier in space you are going to get hurt yeah period like this team is not out to harm or injure but they are gonna hit you as hard as they possibly can so uh they did that consistently through the game spencer peters was getting walloped for most of the game every receiver that caught a pass pretty much got drilled tyler goodson got a serious dose of physicality throughout that game yeah so and it's, it's a surprising thing because you and i've talked about it a little bit Iowa historically has a fantastic offensive line. That's not the greatest offensive line that Iowa's ever fielded. No. Uh, Lindenbaum, the center, will probably be an early pick in the NFL draft whenever he goes out. And the rest of them are – those, those yeah. tackles were not great. No, so it, no. it was a combination of the two and that Penn State's defensive ends um, to see Koziah Izzard getting involved, Ebiketti was doing his thing. Yep. There were a lot of people rotating in and having success. So there's things about this that – Again, even at 20 to 10 late in the third quarter, it felt like Penn State could win on yeah. the back of the defense. They that just had field. to ride it out, right? They just needed one more. I think they needed one more drive from the yep. Penn State offense. They just needed one. And a if field they goal. got a, 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 yeah, if they got a field goal, yeah. that I think that would have <laughs> changed the, the math for the entire game. But because the Penn State offense and everything we just talked about for the first 30 minutes of the show, because that played out the way it did, you were asking them to do something that would have been epic, heroic, 
unprecedented like you and know they were doing it they That's were the thing. they yeah. were do- I, I was like they're gonna pull this off I, With, for, for a while i thought that Without P.J. Mustafer, by the way, in this game. Mm. So this is really kind of the situation for Penn State. And and this, again, injuries happen. You've got to be able to adapt and adjust. Penn State lost two of their most important players on both sides of the football in this game. Oh, by the way, John Lovett apparently was injured as well. I don't know what happened to him. It must, it must have been on special teams because he fielded the opening kickoff and then apparently mm. was in street clothes. But P.J. Mustafer against this zone rushing attack, he was a key part of the of the formula. And I thought you mentioned Kaziah Izzard, Devon Ellis. They both stepped up and played pretty good in this situation. Uh, those guys have been playing. They've been playing well. So they acquitted themselves against a, a the strength of a average offensive line. What they're good at is they're good at double teams. They're good at mauling. They're good at that zone, you know, inside, outside zone. Penn State handled that other than a couple of times. Uh, that they were able to, to crack a couple runs. But again, this Penn State defense, yes, does Brandon Smith struggle to get off blocks? Does he give up a couple rushes because he can't, for some reason, with 34-inch arms, find a way to separate from a tight end? That happens sometimes. But they get so many tackles for a loss, it makes up for it. They put Iowa in so many third and long situations because they just were more athletic and ran that stuff down from the backside. Um, a couple guys that I thought had a really good game. Ellis Brooks played an epic level game <laughs> again. Uh, yeah. And it's unfortunate because the work he was doing off of that defensive line, uh, he was able to knife in the backfield. I, so I, I was looking at some of my uh, footage and I was looking at some of the, my film and I was like, I had to rewind. Cause I'm like, did I just watch the same play twice? He just almost the same exact thing. Two plays in a row in the third quarter. He gets the Iowa offense to go for exactly zero yards, a two yard loss and a, two-yard gain because he got in he got in there he knifed in he made the tackle he hit with physicality wrapped up and brought the ball carrier down and I didn't think Tyler Goodson was particularly good either he he had a couple rushing lanes that he just didn't see and you know this was such a winnable game for Penn State and everything that possibly could go wrong went wrong so Ryan I'm going to ask you this part from Ryan uh, do you think this team can dust itself off with the remaining schedule and finish strong? You were talking about how hard the schedule gets later in the season. What do you think? There's still a very real chance Penn State finishes 8-4. and four. Mm-hmm. At Ohio State, again, they are starting to look like Ohio State again. I think those are, again, kind of like the Iowa statistics coming into this game. Those numbers are a little bit skewed. Um, beating Maryland. I don't know why the rankings uh, people are favoring Maryland as such a big win just because they beat West Virginia in week one and then, you know, got stoned by Iowa. Um, I really don't understand why that that type of victory has been giving so much credit. Um, Ohio State's building itself back from the Oregon loss earlier in the year, but that's going to look like a good loss, even though Oregon stumbled. So that's a little bit clunky, but it's Ohio State and they're a big brand. Um, Michigan, also a big brand. They are currently at, uh, what is it, number nine? I think they were nine. We'll see where they finish. They're playing Nebraska right now, and I expect them to win that game, so we'll see. Michigan runs the ball extraordinarily well. You're lucky you have that game at Penn State. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if that was another whiteout environment. That is a winnable game. Um, Michigan State to end the season, that is a winnable game, but the Spartans are nasty, and Mel Tucker's got them doing great things, and Kenneth Walker, the billionth, is a very, very good running back, and he's going to get fed a Le'Veon Bell dose of the ball when he plays you, and that 
is something consistently that Penn State has struggled with this season is defending against the run. So that being said, worst case scenario, I think this team could finish eight and four. Um, I think best case scenario, they finish 10 and two. And again, all of that is a gigantic asterisk with is Sean Clifford healthy and available? Yeah. Uh, and David, by the way, I want to go back to our other uh, question just a bit ago about guys on defense that stood out because another guy, and David's right about this, is uh, uh, Curtis Jacobs had a great game. Curtis Jacobs yes. had been struggling so far this season, uh, you know, with consistency more than anything, I'd say. Uh, and he's playing, again, he's playing a really hard position as that Sam linebacker playing in space. He's got the skills to do it, but he does have, you know, a tough task. So this is his stat line for tonight. And, and by the way, I, you know, of course, most people who know BWI know me. They, they know that I also, I work for PFF and I'm, I'm very much, I believe in the, in the stats that they provide. They don't provide stops and stops is a critical thing to me. It's what I talked about with, um, with, uh, Ellis Brooks. Ellis Brooks has no stops. He has 14 tackles in this game, so he led the team. That doesn't tell half the story of where those tackles were. So unless you have a TFL, it's not counted in the official scorebook. Half of Maybe half of Ellis Brooks' tackles were stops. Uh, for uh, Curtis Jacobs, five tackles, uh, one sack, two tackles for a loss, one quarterback hit. That's a heck of a night. And he had a pass breakup, too. I don't think that they caught that one. But he, he broke up a pass that led to a punt. So he's starting to play with that athleticism and be able to be a matchup weapon against tight ends. That's going to be huge going forward. Because I think this leads into my opinion of, your, of the conversation we're talking about with Penn State is um, I do think they can dust themselves off. I do think they can come back from this. I don't think that's a problem. Uh, Clifford's health is obviously the big thing. But even this loss... Let's talk about the college football playoff committee and and how they don't take, well, who beat who, so then who is who, and they don't care about, like, if you're undefeated, it doesn't matter, what do the metrics say about you, what does, yes, the, what does the brand say about you, Penn State has been a huge draw on TV, they know they would get eyeballs with Penn State, and they lost 23-20 to Iowa, a top five team, a number three te ranked team in the nation, without their starting quarterback. This loss doesn't hurt you what you've done so far this season if you're Penn State is you've beaten a ranked uh Wisconsin team you've beaten a ranked Auburn team in your next ranked matchup you lost 23-20 without your starting quarterback they have afforded themselves a loss this year but one that's what it does so, so that's really the problem for Penn State is you have built up a, a ton of cachet with perception, and all these games have been nationally televised. They have been in prime spots, and Penn State has found a way to win all of these games, and they almost found a way to win this one right. without their starting quarterback. If you're the college football playoff committee and you're looking at this game, you're not going to give Iowa a ton of credit for winning this game the way they did with their advanced metrics. Because even their running attack, 41 carries for 109 yards. What offense is, who are you scaring with that offense? 45 carries for 110 yards, 2.4 yards a carry. Uh, Tyler Goodson had three yards on average a carry. This is not an offense, and this is not a team that is going to be looked at favorably. Now, the defense will be. 
Because I, you know, there's no. I don't think you can take anything away from them. They showed that the turnovers for them are absolutely not a fluke. They got balls from Sean Clifford tonight as well. I said that poorly. They intercepted Sean Clifford several times tonight, and they were they were legit turnovers. So that part is real. But you're not going to enter this team into any serious conversation unless they beat whoever it is, probably Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. So if Penn State loses another game and they're locked out, that's probably going to be the case. But if they beat Ohio State, and I do think this defense, especially the secondary, how good they are, they can play in any of these games. And if something happens the other way to Ohio State, Penn State has the opportunity to win those games. So I I think you've, you've bought yourself some wiggle room with the early part of your schedule. And I don't think this loss really hurts you all that much. You're gonna be. They're gonna be finishing if they finish well and not eight and four like you predicted or that you said the worst could be. They'll finish in the top ten. You know, just whether yeah. or not they're in the top four, depending on those two games that are important. Right, and even following this, they could drop as far as ten, but that should be the the basement really. Um, yeah, I, I was looking at the rankings, and I I know we can't uh, pull up a graphic or anything like that, but just going from ten and ascending. 10 is BYU, 9 is Michigan, 8 is Oregon, 7 Ohio State, 6 Oklahoma, 5 Cincinnati, 4 Penn State, obviously that'll change, Iowa 3, and then Georgia, Alabama 2 and 1. I see a very realistic situation where Oklahoma leapfrogs Cincinnati because of the gravity of the Red River shootout and that always being something that's just important in the way that they won and Cincinnati's not going to get a lot of credit from the college football playoff committee for beating Temple on yeah. a weekday, and yep. especially the rest of their schedule being just absolute cake. Ohio State, uh, Oregon, and Michigan are going to get a lot of love just because those are big brands. You do have the Oregon victory over Ohio State, which is going to complicate things a little bit, and then Oregon went and laid an egg against, was it Stanford or USC? I'm blanking. Uh, Stanford. Stanford. So that doesn't look good for Oregon, and frankly, no Pac-12 champion will really get in this season. Yeah. Oklahoma really helped themselves today. Not that Texas is some juggernaut. The win just looked good. It felt good. All those things that you can't put uh, analytics next to. Um, if Ohio State is able to run the table and win out the rest of the way and potentially win a Big Ten title, you bet your butt they're in. Yeah. Uh, and Penn State has to beat Ohio State uh, at the horseshoe in order to be even remotely considered. And even then... Michigan and Michigan State are still on the schedule, so there's yeah. still chances to stumble. So, so I guess that's kind, happen. that's kind of what I feel about this loss. Is it still ha- it still matters what happens at Ohio State more than what happens at Kinnick Stadium? If you so this is if Penn State had won this game and they went through the rest of their schedule and they lost to Ohio State and then they won those other games, they're they're in the conversation. They probably are in the college football playoff. But there's one thing you can't do is you can't lose two games. And that's really the that's the killer is that if you project if you're projecting the rest of the schedule, you usually it's always a close game, but it's usually a loss to Ohio State. Uh, and and by the way, Maryland, stop playing cover one. It's not working. Stop playing man coverage against Chris Olave. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. It didn't work against Iowa, who went 17 of 31 against a good defense. 
Stop playing five rush, five like stop playing five and five. Don't don't blitz. Play coverage the rest of your season. Even if you lose forty one to fourteen, at least you don't lose sixty six to whatever it was. I tuned in the fourth quarter and I'm watching them run press man coverage against one of the most talented receiving units in the nation and over the last five years. I was like, well, that's why they suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why they're not any good. That's a yeah. bad plan. That's putting your players in position to uh, to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Iowa State is uh, Iowa is still riding off the victory of beating a ranked Iowa State, who I think everybody was ready to anoint as yeah. the next uh, face of the Big 12, and that has fallen on its face. Oklahoma is still Oklahoma, and Campbell and company just aren't the same. And that's okay. Yeah. I think by the end of the year, once Iowa has run through their schedule, and frankly, I do expect them to finish undefeated, um, they will not exactly have a great strength of schedule because of whatever Iowa State is ultimately by the end of the year. The Maryland game is really not going to look that impressive. Uh, and the remainder of their schedule, granted, you're going to have some gritty, disciplined, tough, all the nice things we like to say about mediocre Big Ten teams, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of road contests that it's like, oh, okay, well, that'll be tough for you know three quarters or something like that. Um, they should finish undefeated the second Iowa loses anything boy they're out yep and they have to know that too and especially considering how they got exposed uh today a lot of different facets it could fall apart very quickly uh so I there's one last thing that I really want to talk about and this is I gotta be careful here so I don't swear um I I I, so I everything I do is on film Everything I try to do is give you the facts, try to give you what happened. And like I, I'm not a journalist like Nate Bauer or like Greg Pickle or like Ryan Snyder that go and get you the information and they report on, you know, those things. I, I'm, I'm film facts. I look at what happened. I tell you what happened. Uh, and, and so I tried to be objective and you cover one team. So you tend to like focus on that team and you know that team better than every other team. Um, so what I'm trying to tell you is I'm not a fan. I, 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 I obviously I went to Penn State. Tom and I went to Penn State together. I've been here. I live in State College, but I don't consider myself a fan. So I don't root for Penn State during these games. I just want to tell you what happened and why. I was having a hard time not rooting against Iowa tonight because I was I was getting so furious that every single time a player was hurt, Iowa fans would boo them. That was the mm. most classless garbage I've ever seen. And here's the thing. So you're saying they're faking their injuries to slow down your offense. Your offense is from 1987. Your offense is not built on speed. The longer they sit on the ground, the more those offensive linemen that are run blocking get a chance to recover. And they get that's what they want. They take 40 seconds off the clock every time. They don't they were running a no huddle like Penn State. There's no advantage to Penn State players being injured. And so sure, maybe there's some weird strategy that they want to slow the game down. I don't know why against Iowa. So you're let's say you're let's say you're wrong. You booed a dude that tore his ACL. Hmm. Maybe that's what happened to PJ Musford. I don't know. I know he's on crutches. I don't know anything beyond that. And by the way, uh, James Franklin did not give an update on Sean Clifford. We don't know any of that information. Uh, Devon Ellis, you could on TV openly hear him scream in pain. That's a football player screaming in pain on the on the ground. And you're going to boo him. That was some of the least. I was so furious watching that. 
That is not what you do in a football game. And I don't care if you're waving at kids or you've got a cancer center and they can watch from the top story or whatever. That is the most classless, base, pathetic, selfish thing you can do as a fan. I, I mean, I don't have anything else to say other than like, not only, not only did you not deserve to win that game, you didn't deserve to win that game because of the way you acted. That was pathetic. That was disgusting. I was, I, yeah, that's what I got. I'm, I'm so mad at how that was playing out. No, I, I please say understand. something, please, because I'm, I'm no, that's, I, now I'm going to start no, swearing okay. because I'm getting I know, mad. I know, I know. Mute your microphone, you'll be fine. So I, I had the exact same thought, and then the first thing that popped into my mind is uh, ye without sin cast the first stone. And I'm not a religious person, but that was the first thing I thought of. Uh, as a Philadelphia sports fan, uh, I'm not proud of some of the things I've cheered about, um, and I've admitted multiple times um, on my own podcast on this show that I am a fan I am a broadcaster. I have a journalism degree from Penn State, but I worked in WWE for nine years, so I didn't really use a journalism degree. I was more of an actor than anything, so yeah. let's be honest. You're great yeah, at acting, I, by the way. I am a fan. I Thank you. I'm a fan. I was screaming at my TV tonight. Um, I was losing my mind. Um, I have been to Iowa. I have called a game when I was in school at Iowa. Um, I have some close friends who are Iowa fans. Um Overall, I have known Iowa fans and the, the people in Iowa City to be outstanding. Um, I experienced that at just about every Big Ten school that I've had the chance to visit. Um, I was stunned when I went to Michigan one time and I was like, oh, these people are really nice. Like, they're yeah. not really like we despise them because of things on the field. But it's like, right. oh, they're, you right. know, that, that happens. Um, yes. And you understand why fans get frustrated because it's stuff that looks like it happens in soccer over in Europe. And it's like, oh, the guy's feigning an injury so he can buy time or he's trying to get a flag or something like that. Um, and I can see plenty of people uh, that have been in the chat, uh, obviously bringing up what Iowa does at the end of the first quarter and waving to pediatric cancer patients and then the juxtaposition of what their fans do. Um, no fan is without sin. No fan is perfect. Uh, it's just a matter of how do you want your fan base and your school and your brand to be represented? Yeah. So that's, I, that was that's a, my question overall. I just, I cannot it really, was a really bad look into making accusations at anybody because I've not been perfect either. So, well, that, you know, that's fair. And I just, I, I, football is a dangerous game. And, uh, I like it, it to assume people are faking an injury in football is like assuming a car crash is fake. Mm -hmm. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, so, you know, I know I know that someone uh, is is obviously upset by what I had to say, but I didn't boo any football players that were injured and then didn't come back in the game. So uh, what else on the field do you want to talk about tonight? Um, I, I think, again, uh, the entire play scheme was... Uh, good at least when Clifford was in the game, and again, it's I, we're we're talking about a tale of two different games almost entirely. Yeah, um, Clifford was on pace to probably have fifty, maybe fifty-five attempts. Yeah, that's not sustainable. It's something that we have talked about consistently. Is that this team probably is going to find a different way to win each week, which is fine. And honestly, that's great when it comes to tape study, which I know you're the best at. So that's fine if you want to mix up your opponents on on a given basis. Um, but clearly. The offensive scheme with Clifford was designed to hide the uh, deficiency of the running game for Penn State. That's 
something that obviously got exposed once the chips were down and you had a backup, inexperienced, young quarterback in the game. So the perfect storm occurred. Uh, so it's just a matter of this running game is probably not going to get better, and it's just a, it's up to Mike Yurcich to get creative. Um, and again, the overwhelming hope is that Sean Clifford is able to play. Uh, as I mentioned, you've got a bye week so he can recover, so plenty of the guys can recover. The Illinois game, I'm not saying you sit guys in waves, but there is that opportunity to do that because it is a lesser opponent. No disrespect to the fighting Illini. But yeah, there, there's still some things offensively that you were are, that were hoping to see get better. Um, that probably won't in terms of the, the rushing attack, the offensive line is not great. And we've yeah. talked about that consistently yep. now for uh, for six weeks. So it's it, it is what it is. The very encouraging thing, and I talked about this with you last week, is that had Sean had the opportunity to play this entire game, right? Mm-hmm. Would he have had a Trace McSorley moment where he makes everybody a believer? And ironically, in his injury, in his absence, he made more believers out of Penn <laughs> State fans yeah. than he did by playing or even potentially finishing or winning the game. Yeah. So I, I sincerely hope that Penn State fans appreciate what they have in Sean Clifford. He is somebody that probably 75 to 80% of the programs in America would be doing anything to recruit to their program. So uh, I sincerely hope Sean Clifford's back soon because it's a, it's a drop off. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not going to see the same offense. So for sure, you're not going to see the same offense. They're going to have to find a way to run the football. And this is the conversation that is important to have when it comes to running game and how to operate. Penn State needs to, to get explosive plays. And the best way to do that with the collection of players they have is by throwing the football. Now, that might not be the case. So, the running game is now a problem. You need to be able to uh, you need to be able to run the football. You need to be efficient now. And that was another problem that Penn State had is even on some of the drives that had some hope, they were not efficient. It became about when Sean Clifford was in the game, it came about, okay, can you get 7 yards? Can you get 8 yards? Can you pop an explosive play but you're moving the football, you're converting third downs. It became about get 6 yards on the first two downs to set up third and four. So Penn State is gonna, and Mike Yersich is going to have to develop a plan with Taquan Roberson and maybe some more simple concepts and 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 there's going to be I guess the point is there's going to be have to a lot of heavy lifting by the offensive coordinator and the other players to help a guy out who is now potentially because we don't know the status of Sean Clifford going to be uh, thrust into a position he's never he's never been in before. However, I think there's still more to be written on what Taquan Roberson can and can't do if he's actually in practice with the starting unit. Like, that's a big thing for the week. And, and to your point, I think this was a wake-up call. In a, obviously, it should be to Taquan Roberson in that, okay, you probably came into the summer or in the spring and just kind of, oh, yeah, Sean's the guy. And clearly, there is a lot he has to learn. It is not all on uh, the the coordinators and his coaching staff, uh, Taquan Roberson needs to approach this like he's the number one guy. And there is a mountain for him to climb. Look how long it took Sean Clifford to get to where he is, three full years as the starter. Um, Taquan Roberson needs to approach this as my job is to be the Penn State uh, starting quarterback because uh, there are just so many facets of the offense that clearly he had not uh, grasped or learned yet or just wasn't comfortable with. Um, you got a week. <laughs> it's not an eternity. You got a week. And 
honestly, if we're all fortunate as Penn State fans, I wouldn't hate to see Roberson start the game against Illinois and let Clifford sit if the injury is bad enough. And again, we're going to see what it is and how long Clifford is out. But let's say Clifford is a healthy scratch for Illinois and Roberson plays the entire game. Would that be the worst thing? Would uh, that be the worst thing? To are find you, gar- out are you guaranteed? This is the problem. Are you guaranteed you can beat a power five team at not full strength? I, I don't think you can. Ju- this is the problem. There's two problems with this with this idea. First off, James Franklin says treat every game the exact same. And he, mm-hmm. for his part, he does that. I, You can't send mixed messages. You cannot say, Sean, you're healthy. You're not playing. We're going to break cl- a glass in case of emergency. Uh, that goes against everything you've ever said. That exposes everything you've ever said. You're going to lose people's belief in your mantras. So you, to me, like that's a non-starter to not play healthy players because of the opponent. Because then it becomes about, you know, uh, you you teach more you teach people more with what you do than what you say. So you I I don't think you can send that message if James Franklin is every single game's the same. We have to play it. And then here's the thing: what if Taquan Roberson struggles against Illinois and you can't put Clifford in because you said he's not playing today, he's not active, he's not one of our players? Then you are in a bind. You 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 then can't go to your fastball. And if he's got his pads on, and he's not playing. Like that's that's a, that's a huge problem. So I, that's yeah. that's why I don't think that that's a great strategy, even for the Ball State game or for for Illinois. He'd have to genuinely not be healthy in order for that to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of things they could do. They could build Belichick the entire situation and just you know feign it up until the last moment. It, you know, I, I'm I'm speculating. I, I again, I'm somebody who's lobbied for you know, guys like Clifford and Brisker to have not played into insignificant insignificant games back in September. Yeah. So. Personally, I don't see the the problem with doing that. Um, again, a bye week, Illinois, and you're lucky you've got Rutgers on the schedule. Rutgers, granted, gritty team, tough team, you know, uh, all those nice things we say about Big Ten teams that aren't any good, but <laughs> yeah. they will still be tough. So there's uh, this is going to be a rough remainder of the season. Everybody's strapped yeah. in. Yep. Uh, Michigan State, Michigan, both playing well, although I think is the Michigan game at Beaver Stadium. Uh, I think it yeah, Penn State, Penn State yeah. hosts Michigan um, yeah. and then at Michigan State to end the season. Uh, there's no game next week, so there's no BWI postgame show next week. Tom, this has been a ton what of fun. What are we going to do with ourselves? I don't know. I'll watch I, the freaking Eagles, I guess. I'll probably like do the dishes or sleep or you know uh, tell my wife I love her and look her in the eyes for the first time since the beginning of the season. <laughs> I haven't seen my family. I've just been strapped to this chair. So, uh, God but bless you. <laughs> it's been uh, a pleasure working with you again, as always, Tom. That's Tom Hannafin. He is the co-host of the Pay Dirt Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. Thomas Frank Carr. Penn State loses 23-20 to number three Iowa. They are on their bye week. They'll be back the week after. So that means this show will be back the week after. Although coming up on Monday, we'll have the BWI live show to recap everything once we've digested the game, give you reactions from everyone from James Franklin down on. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then.